episode 136 of the Mindset Game podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian, online training and nutrition coach, and owner of James Robert Fitness. Why not check out some of my free content at fitamputee.co.uk forward slash free dash resources. Each week on the Mindset Game podcast, we bring you an inspirational athlete, message, or expert talking about human optimization to teach you how to change the perception of your mindset and become 1% better. Make sure to share this with your friends on your Instagram story, on Twitter, or on Facebook. They can find this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere that they listen to podcasts by searching for Mindset Game Podcast. And on today's show, I've got Alistair Patrick Hazelton. Alistair is the ambassador for the Durham FA and Every Player Counts campaign, which encourages all disabilities into team building and football. He's also worked with the PFA and Premier League to educate young players on the importance of well-being, fulfilling potential, and no matter how bad things can be, the door to sport and football is not always closed. Alistair shares his experience with young footballers needing guidance after rejection and helping them to succeed in any path they may choose by educating them with life skills. As an athlete mentor for the Dame Kelly Holmes Trust, he is also keen to support people recovering from head trauma, helping them regain their lives. Live well, have no regrets, and open your And if you want to, you can expand that a little bit further if you'd like to. I think we've just been talking about um, perception through, um, like, you know, through sport, not just Paralympic sport, but through sport and what it can do for guys like this. I say just, like, you know, just keep on top of yourself, keep open to it. Take a screenshot and tag at APH underscore inspired and at James O. Roberts 11. Without further ado, let's get into today's show. To the show, Alistair. How you doing, James? I'm not too bad. Obviously, you and I were teammates, so to speak, in London 2012. But yeah. for the listeners that don't know much about you, can you give a brief explanation as to how you got involved in sport and how you kind of progressed on to doing your inspirational speaking and being an athlete mentor? Yeah, well, funny enough, my step into sport was obviously, like most youngsters, I had that dream of what I wanted to do. For me, it was football as a youngster. And, like, you know, through all the hard work and training and sheer enjoyment of it, I managed to progress. Went on to sign for QPR when I left school and I had that great time as a pro footballer. Then had a couple of loan moves and things like that. But then a couple of devastating injuries along the way. Um, the tragic one, which actually um, then led to me becoming a Paralympic athlete, was being a passenger in my friend's um, car crash uh, back in 2006, um, both going through the windscreen and, um, and uh, spent some time comad and everything else. On recovery, like, you know, was football was completely written off for me. I didn't even know about the Paralympic pathway at the time, but it was just like years later on the um, on the off chance, it was my friend, he was the ex-Watford footballer. The Watford doctor actually had become the England cerebral palsy doctor. And he kind of put two and two together and asked the FA, or let the FA know that I would be um, eligible to play in the side. Um, and then got a call from the FA. And then, well, sort of a double-edged sword because what led to me becoming a mentor was actually 
bit of me didn't actually want to play football again, but I then got paired with the Jag- Jaguar Academy of Sport. And amongst the bursary that I got, I did get mentoring from like, you know, some famous sports people, one of them being Dame Kelly Holmes. And she, like, you know, really spent a lot of time with me and really um, just showed me what it was and what, what it all meant to me again. And I didn't actually think, well, like, you know, why should I turn my back on football? I know it was put to one side, but maybe I could give it a go in the new guys and went for it really and it was only through that and obviously having the successful um england campaigns and things scoring on my debut for england and things like that which relit the fire so to speak um I did london and everything else but she then asked me to um would i like to like you know, give back a mentor others for her trust and it was only upon doing that it's like kind of I really loved doing that and one thing just led to another then it kind of snowballed and just got bigger and bigger more into it, gained more experience and then ended up creating my own brand around like, you know, inspiring and mentoring others. And here we are today. Now I'm lucky enough to be talking to you. Well, I, 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 well, we were on the same level to a certain extent, be it London 2012. Out of interest, where did you, where did the CP team finish in London? Because obviously, because it's so busy, you, you, I yeah. think with, you're so engrossed in your own sport, you kind of yeah. forget. For me, I was, I was very disappointed in terms of like the results when we were actually finished because we only finished seventh from eight. And what was the most like you know gut wrenching bit about that was all of our preparation because you know the um, Paralympic cycle and the training cycle for everything. All of our preparation was so good right down to our final few camps before everything was just going well. And then there are things that you don't plan for that can happen in any sport, but more so in football a lot of the time, and things that you just didn't see happening occurred and like you know it's only when hindsight I look back on it okay there are some things that were just like you know you say well I was not expecting that but there were some operational errors that went on as well and I would certainly um advise against if I could ever go back and relive that time you know and you talked about obviously you starting out at QPR yeah talk to me about obviously the footballer's mindset having to go from the academy being loaned out and things like that becoming kind of the back back and flow of, of it what actually does that do on your mental state um do you know what for me personally I, I don't think it affects my mental state um around performance too much if anything it just only unsettled me around like you know where i was going to be but i never um took my eye off the ball at the end but like you know QPR was there were so many things that had gone into um like you know into the mix if you like at the time because the club had gone into administration and that was what kind of because there was a massive turnaround at the start and it was Ian Dowry that when he moved to Oldham Athletic he really wanted to take me out there so he got me on load out there so I was really familiar with him there and for me I thought well it's just going to be more football in another area mm-hmm. and moved in where I was in digs with a lovely family and like you know settled in really quickly in the staff there like fantastic and it was like you know home from home for me and settled in very quickly doing very well very quickly as well and um just as we extended it to the end of the season literally weeks after that boom did the unhappy triads at all the medial ligament cruciate ligament and cartilage came off the bone so it was yeah that's when i'd say i was probably at my lowest uh, mentally but more so because being still under contract to qpr you then have to actually go back there so it's where you were just comfortable. You're now going to somewhere where you'd associate with being maybe less comfortable because you just moved there to find mm-hmm. better. 
moved elsewhere to find something better. And um, but then I was back there, and even at that time, there's still a big transition because we had new management coming in there and everything else. So the faces out of the pot, and it just didn't feel so great. And while everything's going on around you, you're still injured, so you can't even show how good you are, you know. So and added to the mix, we also had Ross and um, Wasp rugby team move in and share start sharing our training ground. So there's just a whole new and culture shift, personalities and everything to deal with all at once, I'd say. And if we go a step further, Alistair, what would you your advice be to any young athlete, be it football or rugby or whereas you could probably relate a little bit in terms of an academy environment? Yeah. What would your opinion be for them to either stick it out, be it in one of these big teams, yeah. or to try and maybe challenge themselves and go outside their comfort zone and kind of their the ego, in a sense, would be at a big club and maybe willing to go out on loan to a le- to a in all in all, I won't say in all honesty, a lesser club, but to, in their maybe their perception is a a lower league team in well not prestige but in their eyes from a yeah, no, performance I, standpoint what you're saying ultimately you have to think um first of all i'll say for anything happiness and enjoyment has to be paramount now you'd have to ask yourself some real questions and okay i'm in this big club for example not doing too much not really making waves um and am i happy here doing that or could i be happier maybe in a spotlight as a smaller club um actually gaining valuable experience and like you know testing myself because make no mistake um the standard jumps from um youth team to first team massively i don't care what you think if you're in the youth team but for example um, manchester united to um if you're in youth team at man united you'll gain valuable experience being in say the first team at a second division club so don't for one minute think that you wouldn't gain anything and but you have to ask yourself, would it make you happy? Like, you know, and you have to always, I think that's what you need to actually search because you're always going to play better where you're happier, 100%. But does that come down to, in essence, and this is, this is going to be a blanket statement now, mm. the youth of today having that sense of entitlement. If I'm at a big club, I deserve to be there. Um. If you're at a big club, you deserve to be there. No, you have to realise why you're there because there are many factors, like, you know, in sport and in football. Sometimes it can be nothing more than luck, you know. It was just the right place at the right time and that's why you're there. You have to always ask yourself, what am I actually doing here? Like, you know, because it's funny because we look in the Premiership today and we look at youth level and they're, they're players that we'll never go on to hear about, but they're on a million pounds a year, like, you know, being at these big clubs and... Okay, maybe they might um, actually, like, you know, they could justify that and that they're going to be um, secure and their families may be secure. However, has the, have they been fulfilled in that time? And those are two very different things. And personally, I, I could always say, well, what does, what does make you happy? Because for me, I, I know what it's like to be not so happy, but at the same time doing financially well and then absolutely buzzing and you're maybe not doing as financially well. Um, and but you're still incredibly happy. And I know which one I would actually choose. So. And also, out of interest, talk to me about those two differences. And when are those come up particularly in your lifetime? Um, well, first of all, like you know, QPR it was a great time. Like you know, and 
because I'd moved to QPR from Wickham Wanderers and whilst there, so I was a schoolboy at Wickham Wanderers and then just turned up at QPR, I was a new kid on the block. However, people have got that buzz around you, like, you know, because you're doing things people haven't seen and that with that comes expectation. However, you progress very quickly. But then it gets to the stage where factors outside of your control, things start to slow down and you can be knocking on the door as much as you want, but it's just not quite clicking. And yeah, you, you then, don't get me wrong, that then you're exposed to distraction because all of a sudden um, me wanting to be doing this, playing here, to be doing that, which isn't happening when you're knocking on the door. Well, let me go and find a good time, which all of a sudden is not on the football pitch. And like, you know, that does literally uh, take your eye off the ball a bit, you know. However, one thing that I did do was um, move into Oldham, actually. And as you said, moving outside of your comfort zone. Well, wow, for me, that was great because there was, I was just living with a new family, like, you know, making new friends and in an area that I didn't know. So I didn't want to be anywhere else apart from in bed and then the training, in bed, then the training, in bed at the match. And it was, it was that simple. My focus really came back. Like, you know, I started progressing massively just like I did before. And in the very beginning of the episode, you, you mentioned you, your accident. Yeah. When did that transpire? Um, what kind of level of football were you at at that particular moment in your yeah, life? Yeah, that was um, 2006. So that was um, not long after I'd come back from playing in Holland because I went out and I was playing for Helmsport um, for a year. And then coming back, um, it was I'd signed it was for Wingate and Finchley and it was just a semi-pro team which had a very big um, sort of exposure to um, like you know getting back in league football so I, I was then thinking okay that's going to be the right move for me me and my best mates were actually playing there again which was the real that was the real draw for me because playing football with people that I'd grown up playing with and it was all looking very good and like I said the ex-pro um, Simon Patterson was there as well so I thought that was a really good move for us and then um, it was the summer of um, September 2006 and Simon had this car crash and I was a passenger in his car so both went through the windscreen, had a friend um, that was in the back of the car as well who did survive. Um, he went out the back window, but Simon and I threw the windscreen. Simon unfortunately passed away at the scene. And then I spent time in a coma. And to me, upon waking up, um, it was just like, you know, didn't know where I was. So even when I was hearing various things, I couldn't make head or tail of it. Like, you know, and I didn't even realize just how big it was. and. I still hung on to the um, to the thought that I might be playing football again, like you know, at the end of that season, like you know. So, however, that quickly got um, dashed, and then I had to um, decide upon doing other things. But again, um, one thing that I did decide for myself was no matter what I was going to do with my life, I was just going to be happy and good at doing it. So that's just what I went in search of, like you know, just getting myself better as good as I could be. And you, you also mentioned that it was because of the doctor at Watford that it's kind of yeah. kind of transpired that that you got into the Paralympic movement. Do you yeah. think it's an element, and you, you did touch upon it a little bit, that there, there was an element of luck that the doctor did know about you to be able to put you forward towards yeah, that, that 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 journey? Yeah, definitely, because, again, it was completely out of the blue. I'm talking, like, you know, four or five years later, and completely gone a different way in your life and even when I initially got the call um, and got told about disability football and things like that I was like no it's, that's not me like you know I'll recover to an extent where I don't 
think I identify with the disability footballer and these kind of things. And for me, it was a case of first time I said no. The FA kept on a few more times. I was still like, no, I'm not too sure about this. It's not me. And at the time, um, Paralympic football wasn't exposed to the, the way it is now. So the only um, things that I could see at the time on the internet was just amputee football. And I 100% couldn't identify with that. So mm-hmm. I was like, you've definitely got the wrong you definitely <laughs> got the wrong guy. You know, this isn't me. And um, it was only upon I thought, well, do you know what? They've extended themselves as in the FA have. And the least I can do is give it a chance and then like you know i just found out a bit more from the horse's mouth so to speak and then just attended a camp it was a gb training camp at the time like you know and what was great about that was i saw the football i just saw the um, first time that i had been playing football again um, i just saw how much um how big my deficits were in terms of the me that i used to be um and like you know it was very became very apparent that like you know i could play that football and Alistair, talk to me about, obviously, that initial assumption that you had towards disability sport as opposed to how you perceive it to this day. Yeah, um, well, again, I was always just trying to find out where I started into disability sport because generally um, people always say, do you know what, I would never have said you're a Paralympian or I don't identify as a Paralympian. And, well, so I could... For all the research I was doing, I just couldn't say, I was like, guys, this isn't me. Like, you know, that's not me. I've done all this recovery not to be classed as a disability athlete or to be a Paralympian of any kind. And then we took on a couple of camps and actually saw, okay, well, the guys are, like, you know, getting a run for my money here. And then, like, before I got into it, and, like, you know, what was really good was I then found myself um, just to keep up. I found myself just trying to keep up by reverting to what I was doing as a pro footballer. Like, you know, so I then thought, okay, well, maybe there are um, aspects of my previous life that like, you know, will really assist me in this and help me to be better. And maybe something that I could actually give to the sport, like in terms of like, you know, how I could help raise the standard of it. And that's exactly what I did. And for me, it just got better and better. And then if we go back slightly, Alistair, obviously you had that accident. Yeah. How did it in? How did I well word this? How did it affect you from a physical standpoint, and how? What was the impact on your injury to the significance of you acquiring cerebral palsy? What level is it at? Because obviously, I know or not your sport inside and out, but I know a little bit more than say the general listener. Yes. What degree of impairment do you have in relation? to yes. the sport and can you kind of explain that a little yeah. bit so i'm going through the windscreen um, at a compound depressed fractured skull so um when your skull drops hits the brain and then sends it into hemorrhage and because of that basically upon waking up out of the coma and everything else and i had um basically 95 percent of the brain was like covered in gray matter or scarring so to speak and it, it was a real touch and go on like you know what sort of recovery i was going to make and then we'd noticed that my left side, certainly left arm, had slowed down a little bit. However, um, subliminally, that was actually aided because um, I was rehabbing it very early on in that um, my right shoulder had come out of the socket and got quite a bad wound and I'm right-handed, so I couldn't actually use it. So initially when I was trying to write notes for my parents, I'd actually always be using my left hand. And that was like a good rehab to the left side. Um, legs are always very, um, very sore, but um, 
like you know the main my main deficits coming through my own brain processing power so my balance natural balance is completely gone like you know so my eyes end up see we're seeing where everything is is what makes me stand where i am so that's what my balance naturally is gone and I was just taking pictures to keep me orientated sort of thing. So, and because of that, my brain has to try to process that information whilst listening to someone call for the ball, someone push you, the crowd may be saying something and trying to process a lot of information is something that makes me um, get a bit like, you know, annoyed. So let's <laughs> just say annoyed and fatigued. And then that then leads to certain parts of my body wanting to go in other places and increases my spasticity and things like that, you know? So you get a little bit of an element of, um, oh gosh, I completely lost my train of thought <laughs> in terms of you've gone to like information overload. Yes, precisely that. that. Like, you know, and that's, um, it, it was really bad upon um, initial stages. Like, you know, I had the what, one minute memory, if anything like that. Like, if that was on a good day. So it was short term memory was severely affected because it was a lot frontal lobe stuff. Like, you know, so. So we're not like not like to ever see you on Strictly Come Dancing, then. No, you know nah, you wouldn't see you wouldn't see me on that X Factor Street. In fact, you just wouldn't see me on reality TV. Mate. Why? No, is it I'm, not your cup of tea, then. Not at all. Not by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that surprises me a little bit, Alice, because you're thinking, well, you were in the spotlight to some degree with being a footballer. Yeah. But is that just not your... It doesn't float your boat, so to speak. It doesn't float my boat at all because, um, say, football and reality TV, they, they are not one and the same. You know, football's a job. That's how I've always seen it. You know, you're a footballer first, end of story. And whether it's footballers doing all these other things, I can't necessarily say I agree with. But it's like, you know, but I see it as football as a job and that's what you do, <laughs> you know, and that's why um, you're a celebrity, if you like, but come on, you're not, you're a footballer. But how do you differentiate between, oh, most people probably could associate sport now become oh, one form or another, just another form of entertainment? Yeah, well, that's exactly what it is. It is entertainment, like, you know, and it makes people happy. So I'm all for it. Like, you know, when you think about the nature of like, you know, team sports generally, you have to look what they've done for society for like generations in that families follow clubs and like, you know, it's always where you've got families, communities, and it brings people together. We only look at what um, 2012 did for like, the nation, like you know, how many people came together for that. Well, Heroes Parade Day was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Like, you know, so it's incredible. And Alistair, obviously, we were both there. Yeah. What was your initial, um, not apprehension, that's not the right word. Oh, what's the word I want to use? Um, kind of your initial emotions in the lead up to London, because you've never done a games yourself, mm. whereas I can't, I can't compare and contrast between what you're feeling and what I felt. Yeah. What was that initial feeling like into the run up before you actually got to the the village itself? Yes, do you know what for me, because I've sort of seen that sort of kind of I won't say not that quite the same, but I've seen big stadiums and things before, etc. etc. But and London for me is that was where I really put my professional head on because I was so ready for that games in terms of I was ready and I honestly thought like, you know, 
I we were going there for a medal. That's like you know that's what I thought it was all about. And um, getting there and seeing the village and everything else, and it, it was amazing. Like you know, it was great to be a part of that. Always had a big smile on my face, but. Um, for me, again, it was I was very much down to business first. Well, I think for for any listener listening to this, I think that's how the British team was through and through. It's yeah. you, and this is probably where people get a little bit um, not annoyed, but surprised when I say, "Well, I went to two games and I've never been to an opening ceremony." But I kind of put it across this way, and you you touched upon it. Mm. We're there to to do a job, not to, to not to go for a jolly. Whereas you could probably agree with the statement now. Some of the other countries that might not be the case. They 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 might like the pompous that goes with it as well. Yeah, well, do you know, what? it's like anything in life. Um, I can't. I wouldn't feel too right maybe commenting on other countries and other people because I don't necessarily know what they would have had to go through to mm -hmm. actually be there. So for some um, for some countries and some people to be there, yeah, do you know what? It might have been all about that because maybe what they would have had to overcome to actually get themselves there, well, you know, good on you and well done for it. However, me personally, um, I, was, I was actually so um thrilled to be there purely because only like you know years before doctor had i always remember he gave me a choice where he said like you've got five years worth of recovery where after five years roughly where you get to is kind of where you plateau and kind of stay so and that was at a point when i was pretty much bedridden like you know so for me that was just a big celebration and enjoyment of actually do you know what i remember when he gave me that choice nearly five years because it was nearly five years to the day before opening ceremony because it was um we opening ceremony was august wasn't it was it august or september because i know the the games closed the day of like you know the anniversary the day of my um car accident so and i can you know, actually be there on opening ceremony day and i just thought imagine i'd heard what the doctor said and just stayed in bed for those five years like you know there'd have been no way i'd have been at an opening ceremony like you know representing my country or nation so for me it was a great sense of achievement and I, I was really happy about that but hey do you know what sorry and then I was straight back to business so <laughs> you know we, we all are there for different reasons that's the one thing we have to remember we're there for different reasons but um our goal you should always be the same right now and we touched this touched this uh touched this point off air before we started Alistair mm -hmm. what was kind of the driving factor behind you wanting to go beyond London? Um, for me, there was, there was everything because I still, first of all, I still felt I had more to give, you know, because like in terms of performing, I still felt that I would have said that I've been peaking maybe, maybe physically at a prime, but then I still had more experience than everything else I would have wanted to give. So that for me was I just wanted it to keep going. Do you think it's an essence of there was more to obviously you, you said that, but there was just a little bit more to give. You you had an un, unfinished business from London with not achieving what you set out personally and as a team to do. Um, no, do you know, and again, I never take it back to be an unfinished business because I always think, well, but that was the game and end the story like that. Like, that's that. But what I can do now is I'm getting an echo, I think. 
I hear myself. So, but, but, yeah, London was done again. We didn't get what we wanted to do, but I can only try to fit for the next one. Hopefully, like, you know, we might do better. But again, I can't say we're 100% going to do better. Or I can like, prepare myself for what I did for London and be ready for it again. And talk to me and obviously the listeners about what was the idea behind you wanting to walk away from sport, how you did. And again, um, that just comes down to at the closing ceremony of London, I was actually talking to Richard Whitehead. I said to him, you know, Richard, I'm going to keep myself because I'm going to be 34 by a while. And that's and generally the retirement age for a footballer. I said, I'm going to keep myself fit and give it everything I can with the England team to hopefully be selected for England. If selected, the GBR will be there. However, if not, then I think that will be when I retire. And like the way things transpired, we had the intercontinental draft last year. Funny enough, I'm still recovering now from the injury I picked up in the last game at the end of 2012, which was I was slip this in my back, which we've only recently found out about how badly it slipped. But upon like we had the intercontinental, which on hindsight works, it was standard diagnosis then, I shouldn't have done that. But just before those... My lung collapsed and I couldn't fly every so I had that time out. Uh, so for me, the um, challenges didn't just stop straight after London, it was all rosy. It kept up, but then we still had more tournaments. We won the Quad Nations that was in Spain, that was England, Tunisia, Portugal, and USA. Then we still had like, like, trainings and everything else. We had a challenge manager again, continued right up to Rio. Um, didn't make it to the world, didn't get selected to the world. Uh, there's something what world people like, there's some politics in there, we'll call it. Um, and then that was obviously the selection tournament for Rio. was taken off the list for just before Rio, so didn't make it there. The one thing that I could do after that was stay true to myself, which was bound to my 34th birthday and call it a day. And you, you, you mentioned that, that back injury. You, 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 you make it seem like it's nothing. <laughs> Whereas yeah. In, in yeah. essence, that's a pretty serious injury. But how did they miss that? Okay. Um, it happened in the USA, okay? I took quite a fall and I jarred my back. Just got on, carry on playing. Heroes parade day straight after, so we're in that world. world. And just standing up for hours and hours waiting for time. Next day, I was nearly paralyzed and I was really hanging out of the spine. Then, after that, it got better. Then, generally, it got better. However, the more I tried to play, I started having resistance. So, guys, I was back to this. Physios. Physios. Some physios are saying I might have a stress fracture. Some physios are saying I think another physio is something that comes in your head. But, long story short, is I needed to play. So people were just training me, rubbing my back, and making me play. And it wasn't diagnosed the way it should have been. And so, like I say, when you um, come off the cycle and you don't necessarily receive all the medical support you had, you um, you actually you're a bit more meticulous in who you're going to see and why you're going to see them. And I then ended up having a scan with this bulge, slip disc, which is grinding on my nerves. But do you think, Alice, uh, if you would have been in a tournament back here in the UK, yeah. 
they'd maybe caught it because you'd have, this is just an assumption now, they'd have sent you over to EAS, wherever it would have been in the UK, to get it scanned. Yeah, um, again, in hindsight, I think it should have been scanned uh, almost like upon the complaint, and you say, but then there's, um, it goes a bit both ways, because then a physio said to you, maybe you just rub this, and then because a physio said you're right, and then you do actually want to perform as though there's nothing wrong, um, maybe that's a bit of me being a little bit... Um, weak or naive and thinking well I am, I am all right. Right. I should have been a bit more forceful with it but sometimes you well I think it's it's I think we are how one of my guests put it um a few weeks ago you've got that little element of and I and I, I questioned it a little bit you've got a little thin layer of confidence so if it is kind of hit yeah. An athlete takes a little bit longer to rebuff, and I was like, "Well, I would have said I was fairly thick-skinned as an athlete." I say more now as I'm retired. Mm. Things of that nature would probably hit me harder, and I go a little bit deeper than that and say, oh, "Talking to my family, because we had, and you probably could agree with this statement or disagree, because you have all that support network in place." as an athlete, be it physio, doctor, nutritionist, psychologist, you name it, mm -hmm. you go, you get signposted to the right person yeah. and they give you what the symptom is. This is what we're going to do protocol wise, obviously go away and do it. Whereas I think when you get out in the real world and you've got to do it for yourself, you've got all those kind of elements of doubt running in the back of your mind or your head's overthinking things at times thinking, cause I've got to do that thought process for myself. Yeah. It's more difficult, but I don't. I don't know necessarily if you agree with that or disagree. No, I think um, I'm a bit more the other way, maybe because primarily, like, you know, before football, before Paralympics, before anything, I'm a human. I'm someone that wants to fight myself. And if necessarily the support network that we're giving isn't doing what I feel they need to do for me, then I will take it upon myself to go and seek the help that I need. Um, I've, I'm always like, you know, very good at these things, and at the same time, being an expert of um, the PFA is part of what I'm going to remember for life, and they've always been very supportive, and they've always been able to provide the people that I would need, but then they need to go and say who I need and things like that. So, but I've gone um, in search of everyone, I've been looking at a chiropractor, which in hindsight was a waste of time, and then, like, you know, you know eventually I got it scanned and then I saw what was wrong and then got put in the right hand so now I'm doing well with it. However, I think, going back to it, as I said, me being a little bit too naive, I think when I felt something was wrong, I do feel that the network around me, their agenda was maybe slightly different and that they still wanted to, um, what's the word? achieve certain things by certain times which wouldn't have been conducive to me being in the hands of whatever um, process to try and find out what was wrong before we then even um, started to treat what could have been a uh, more negative And my next question for you Alistair would be in your opinion how can the general populace change their mindset by 1%? <coughs> 
Oh, how would you do it? Um, well, the only way I changed my mind was by actually opening my eyes and you know, um, exposing myself to it more. And like, like they always say, the old saying, which I don't necessarily agree with, knowledge of power. Um, it's, a, it's a form of power. It's not power in itself, it's a form of power. Um, but all you can do is actually um, get to know things a bit more. Like, like Kylie Mix now is actually on show more than ever. Watch it, look at it. And, and I myself was a, a real uncomfortable, really not really watching the Paralympics before. Like, you know, and it's a, only actually after becoming a Paralympian, I then researched and understood it a bit more, and now I watch it as avid. So I, I do think, yeah, you need to actually open your eyes to it. And do you think having that way of thinking would change people's perception of their mindset? 100%. It will certainly give you a lot more appreciation. Like, you know, because one, you see just how brilliant these kind of things are, but then you actually can engage yourself and know how good you are and know how weak you are in certain areas, and then, then know how to make yourself better. Um, because purely when you watch Pride, that's what you see people do overcome massive challenges. Even if they haven't performed the best they actually could, they've actually stepped up to the plate, which is something that we could all do. And my final question to you before we wrap up the episode, Alistair, if you have to summarise what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? <laughs> you, you should have briefed me about this. <laughs> if I can summarise... Let's see. Live well, have no regrets. And open your eyes. And if you want to, you can expand that a little bit further if you'd like to. Uh, a little bit further. I think we've just been talking about um, perception through, um, like, you know, through sport, not just Paralympic sport, but through sport and what it can do and the guys that it can take. I'd say just, like, you know, just keep on top of yourself and keep open to everything. So, once again, Alistair, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Game podcast. Massive, thank Massive, you, James. Oh, the pleasure of being all mine. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Alistair and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at APH underscore inspired and at James O. Roberts 11 on Twitter and on Facebook. And again, do check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk forward slash three dash resources make sure to check that out the link will be in the description you can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category sports once again thanks for listening and i'll catch you next time for another episode of the mindset game podcast